to the weekly message from Angel of Joy Lutheran Church, an ELCA congregation located in Lufkin, Texas. Pastor Paul Guy and the family of Angel of Joy invite you to join us for worship at 10.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. If you should find yourself in our neighborhood, please enjoy this message and visit our website at angelofjoy.org. Dear friends in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now I know all of you have been diligently studying the lesson and uh, so certainly this phrase should come just like rolling off a, a log. It's, it's second nature to you, this, this passage from Scripture. Tu I ho Christos O huios tu theu tu zontos, which of course means you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, of course. I know you were just being polite. Down through the ages, there have been a thousand answers to the question, who do you say that Jesus is? That's what he asked Peter, of course. Who do you say that I am? And you just heard what the Bible said. Well, Jesus has been something of a, for those of you that know a bit about psychology, a Rorschach test. The ink blots, you know, where they put some ink, fold the page and open it, and say, what does this look like to you? That's what the therapist would ask. And everyone seems to see Jesus in a way that's unique to their own circumstances or perception. In one era, judging from some of the paintings that have been handed down and probably hanging in museums around the world or very old books, in one era, Jesus is a fearsome deity like Zeus waiting to hurl lightning bolts or sort of like Martin Luther's feeling about God in the early days before he discovered the God of grace in scripture. Or sometimes Jesus is seen as a suffering servant in agony on a wooden crossbeam, nailed there, suffering and dying. And in another era, he's sort of like a manicured man hanging from a $22,000 gold cross from Tiffany's. For some, Jesus is sort of a Jewish revolutionary promoting or condoning violence, saying, I've come to bring a sword. Or he's a capitalist or a communist, a philosopher, a social worker. Sometimes Jesus is seen as sort of a lone ranger riding in to save us from danger right in the nick of time. He can be seen as a Dr. Phil or Oprah Winfrey dispensing pop wisdom and warm fuzzies. That Jesus, gentle, tender, mild. A few years ago, the stand-up comedian George Carlin called him Jesus Light. A buddy, a friend who gives a knowing wink and approving thumbs up. Yeah, that's cool. 
Yeah, I love you. Warts and all. Well, Jesus is sweet, non-judgmental, a heck of a nice fellow down deep where it counts. But not one who, in the long run, really inspires you, and certainly not someone you would want to die for, or perhaps even live for, for that matter, in this day and age. In this 21st century, which has been termed the post-Christian era, you've heard me say that before, faith in God, affection for and devotion to Jesus, and even a willing connection to the church is that French word, passé. It's irrelevant to the affluent and to the educated young adult. Oh, yeah, on the college campuses around the country that are opening up for business this week, or maybe already did, there are campus ministries that are available. There are nearby churches. We're just across the street from Angelina College, for heaven's sakes. And probably 19 out of 20 of those educated and talented and deep-thinking, passionate young people are not going to church this morning or next Sunday morning or even Saturday morning for the Seventh-day Adventists or the synagogues because, well, I suppose each one has his or her own reason for not going. In our schools today, in the hearts and minds of many young people, what's important is being on the football team or the cheerleading squad or one of the more popular clubs on campus. A strong young man would probably far prefer to be known as Bubba than to be called a Christian. A far more desirable and far more desirable than belonging to a particular church, unless, of course, it's one of the communities more in vogue congregations, is to be able to claim to be the boyfriend or girlfriend of a certain popular classmate. But nearly all of those relationships are destined to dissolve in the course of time. Very few high school sweethearts get married to each other and last for any length of time today. In the end, we recall that nearly all but, of course, not quite all of Jesus' disciples devoted the remainder of their lives to him, and it was not an easy time to be a follower of Jesus. And in some cases, for those disciples, it meant suffering a horrendous and torturous death. St. Peter, of course, as most of you know, ended up being crucified upside down because he said he was not worthy to be crucified right side up as Jesus was. St. Paul, tradition says, was beheaded in Rome. Others were not even put to death in that gentle a way, if you can even call that gentle. So I ask, why in the world would these followers of Jesus do that? Why would they remain faithful if there was any doubt in their minds that Jesus and his mission was absolutely worth this kind of sacrifice on their part. It would have been easy once Jesus rose into heaven, or ascended, to say, okay, he's not here anymore. He doesn't, he can't see what I'm doing. I'm going to take the easy road. I'm going to go back to work and keep a low profile so no one ends up making me suffer. 
For most of us today, yeah, I guess I can say that. Most of us today, the sacrifice of maximum measure is going to be to go to church on a given Sunday morning and perhaps putting something in the offering plate, although most young people leave that part of the sacrifice to their parents, I think. Who exactly do we say that Jesus is today? What possible role can he have in our lives in this year of 2014? And what, if ever, do our loved ones finally get around to squeezing... When, when, if ever, do our loved ones finally get around to squeezing even the smallest bit of Christ into their busy schedules? It's one thing to say, yeah, I believe in Jesus and entirely something different, to do something about it. For too many American Christians today, the answer is never. Maybe someday they rationalize, I can make a commitment to God, I can stand up for Christ, even go back to church. But not today, and probably not next week either. Well, obviously, this is a real case of the pastor preaching to the choir as they say, and don't ask me who they are, I really don't know, but you've heard that expression. And I am preaching to the choir since you have gone to the trouble or maybe even to the delight of getting all dressed up and coming to church this morning. And just so you know, I'm really proud of each one of you for doing that. Not everyone in Angelina County shared such a commitment of love for their Lord today. Now, as you know, that disciple whom we know probably best as Peter started out in life with a different name. And the Bible tells us that prior to Jesus entering his life, he was known as Simon Bar-Jonah, or son of Jonah in, in Hebrew. But upon his making a statement of faith, as we heard in the gospel lesson just a few minutes ago, Jesus called him Peter, or in Greek, Petrus because of the rock-solid faith in Christ that he professed. He didn't say, I think you might be someone pretty special, maybe even sent from God. He said, no, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Wow! I mean, that was bold in your face testimony of of Peter's faith. I had an aunt once upon a time whose name was Lois, She was named after her mother's sister. And the trouble is, my aunt did not like this woman at all, and consequently she hated the name Lois, even though it was her own name. My sister and I were taught to refer to her as Auntie Del because Lois's married name was Delphi, Auntie Del. But in the course of time, she had her given name legally changed to Patricia, I don't know why Patricia. I think she just liked the name and evidently didn't have any qualms about sharing it with someone else. Patricia, recently, as many of you know, Inga and I became grandparents once again. And our daughter-in-law, for one reason or another, had fallen in love with the idea of naming her soon-to-be-born baby Joe. Not short for Joseph, just Joe. I think it's a popular thing to do right now. 
She evidently also preferred to have the middle name as Levi, but that's where I kind of meddled. And I know none of you would ever think that I would meddle in someone's choices. But I was sharing text messages to our son Toby one evening and talking about the name. And I told him, first of all, that I'm a junior. My name, Paul, was my father's name, my grandfather's before him. I'm a junior because my father had a different middle name than my grandfather, but the idea of it was that my dad was so proud of me as his son that he did the best thing he could think of to honor me, and that was to give me his own name. Well, Toby's name is, in German, Tobias, in English, or American, I should say, it's Tobias. And I thought it was about time, since this is the third child, that Toby could pass his name down, too, and I said it's an act of love. Besides that, kids in school can be kind of rough on their classmates, and I figured that that this little boy, if that ever got out what his middle name was and he had been named Levi, he could be teased. I mean, how many kids get named after a pair of pants? Now, of course, my first choice, my first choice for a name for little Joe, I thought it was a good name. Nothing wrong with old buckshot. Toby thought, no, that's that's kind of pushing the envelope. We can't go with old buckshot for a newborn baby. But I reasoned with him, and I said, well, my middle name was Henry. And I never much liked the name Henry somehow, even though that was my father's middle name as well. Henry seems so blasé somehow. And the children, see, when I was born... Having a dad named Paul, they naturally named me something else, which was nicknamed Hank. Don't you ever call me Pastor Hank. (laughs) Because the neighborhood kids quickly changed that to handkerchief. Oh, here comes handkerchief. And I thought, no, 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 no. And one day, just before I was ready to go to school for the first time, my dad said to me, you know, you're going to be called the same name down through the years in school. And... Now you can make the choice. Would you rather be called Hank or would you like to be called Paul? And I thought, that's my dad's name. That's a promotion. Paul it is. Well, there were other choices that I wish my na- my parents had named me for a middle name, something more appropriate than Hank or Henry, something like Elliot, it's kind of regal, or Sven, kind of Norwegian Lutheran, Or, perhaps best of all, El Magnifico. Nothing wrong with that. Actually, there was another name I was called, only on those occasions when I got into trouble and I knew it when I'd hear my name being called, Junior, get in here right now. Some of you perhaps have gone through that sort of thing. Well, sometimes names or nicknames can say something about us. But so does the name that each one of us have been given, that we all have in common, male and female alike, Christian. We have been named Christian. 
We follow Christ. But even more than that, He is a part of us. And His heritage has been passed on to us. Each one of us, whatever your first and middle name might be, and some of you have more than that, along with your surname, Christian is part of your name. It's part of your identity. It's who you are. Yeah, and I guess names have a way of shaping our self-concept. I do remember one time that I got into trouble at a funeral service. Helen was a lady who was one of the paragons of the church that I served, and she was very dignified, wonderful lady in every sense, and we got along very well, but she, when she developed cancer and the end was near, she said, now I know that you're going to meet my son and daughter whom you've never seen in the church. They kind of gave up the church as they became adults, but they're going to be there for my funeral, I know. And I don't want you to get up there and say all kinds of crazy things about me. Whatever you say at other funerals for the people and you hear all the time, oh, she was a saint. Oh, he'd give you the shirt off his back. Wonderful compassionate people who were so generous and all of this. She said, I want you to call a spade a spade in my case, and I want you to tell them I'm a sinner. But I'm a sinner who is redeemed and saved and made clean by the love of God and the blood of Jesus. And I did that. And I said that, that Helen was a sinner. As wonderful a person as she was, she was a sinner And she got into heaven not based on what she had done in life, but on what Jesus did for her. Yep, she was a redeemed sinner. Well, I said I got into trouble because at the the snack time after the service, those two got up in my face and said, How dare you say our mother was a sinner? She was a saint! You know. We give each other names. But in this case... I guess they're both true because we are saints through the redemption that Jesus has bestowed upon us, the one that we name ourselves after, Christian. Hopefully, in a way, we can be a rocky too, like St. Peter, rock solid in our faith, stick through to the very end, no matter how tough it gets, and to know the, the glory of God in the end. As we leave this house of worship today, I pray that each one of us will carry the abiding conviction that we have been named as a beloved child of God who carries the name of Christian, that we carry that with pride and determination. Don't you forget it. You, whether your name be Louise or Jim, or Rachel, or Susie, or Mark, or El Magnifico. You are a beloved and redeemed child of God. And that's how we go forth into the rest of this brand new week. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please provide feedback on the iTunes podcast page and visit our website at angeljoy.org for more information.